This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Mark Rubenstein, 48 Scar U. It's another great day for wellness. And this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. I am super excited about our episode today. I had the privilege of speaking to Mark Rubenstein, or otherwise known as Scar You in the Gloom, and he is a doctor of physical therapy, where over the last 21 years, he has impacted the lives of his patients and community. In addition to simply helping people improve their musculoskeletal conditions, he's taken a holistic, optimal approach to health. And in today's episode, we talk about how simple activity throughout your day could really change your overall health, why the food you are eating could be the culprit to your pain, the true benefit of posting in the gloom, and the most important element, according to Scar U, to achieving optimal health. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with your family, other packs, and across your social media channels. And now for today's health tip. As many of you know, diet plays a large role in improving your health. Adding healthy vegetables, avoiding sugar, and drinking plenty of water are all good strategies to accelerate your health. But when it comes to the most nutrient-packed substance you could eat, I'm willing to bet that many of you have never had it or have consumed very little of it. So what should be in your diet but probably isn't? Organ meat. That's right. The parts of animals that most of us avoid are actually some of the healthiest, most nutrient-dense food we should be eating. The liver heart, spleen, stomach, kidneys, and pancreas are all jam-packed with vitamins that can help you boost energy, lose weight, decrease inflammation, and build muscle. Ancestrally, we have always eaten nose to tail, consuming every part of the animal. That's because the nutrients found in the different organs and meats create a perfect balance of nutrition. It has only been in the last hundred years have we abandoned this complete approach to animal eating for the more convenient supermarket muscle-only options. As a result, the rich nutrients found in organ meats are simply discarded and unappreciated. Organ meats have approximately 10 to 50 times the amount of vitamins as compared to muscle meat. Vitamin A, B12, B6, CoQ10, and selenium are all found in large quantities throughout the organs of the body. It turns out that preparing organ meat isn't that difficult, and there are many resources online that can help you make interesting dishes such as beef heart stew, spicy deviled lamb's kidneys, liver and bacon meatballs, and ox tongue goulash. To get your own supply of organ meat, you can simply ask the butcher at your favorite store order online, and for those that hunt, simply spend some time in Mother Nature. 
Now, for those of you who aren't quite ready to eat organ meat, you can get the same quality benefits without actually eating it. There are several great companies out there that sell desiccated organs in capsule form, which makes it super convenient. So spice things up at home this week. Try some organ meat or try some desiccated organ supplements. Now for today's episode. Another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom. And I am super excited about our guest and our show today. I have none other than Scar U joining me on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, Bones. I'm thrilled to be here, have a conversation with you. It was great connecting at the 10 year, and uh, I'm just really look forward to, to chatting more. Yes, brother. So Scar U, that's a unique name. So kind of bring me up to speed. How did you get that nickname and what does it actually mean? Yeah. So I've been in F3 for probably uh, two and a half years now. I started in uh, April. With April was two years. When, um, but the name came from a couple of things. One was uh, the fact that I actually do have a number of scars on the body. So pretty self-explanatory. I had scoliosis when I was a kid. So I had high curvature above 40 degrees. Um, and that meant that uh, they were concerned that it would cause pressure on my organs as I age. So I had scoliosis surgery to kind of put rods in my back. Um, so that that's, that's one scar. Then we got an appendectomy, a hip resurfacing. I think that's about it. But so fair, you know, so that was kind of the initial um, scar, but I also am a huge New Jersey guy and a Rutgers guy. So our, our, uh, our um, mascot is the Scarlet Knight. So you got scars, Scarlet Knight, and I guess it started as scar and then it evolved to scar you because RU is the abbreviation for Rutgers. So the guys were just like, okay. Scar you fits better. We like that better. So it just evolved. Gotcha. So in COT, your first pose, were you talking about the scars on your body or, or were you talking about the sports team? What kind of Both. initiate? Both. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, and then, you know, when I, you start listing these things, then there's, Oh, this is the, this is your name. So, um, so I like it. It's, you know, it's a little tough, probably tougher than I am, but, um, but, yeah, there's uh, certainly worse names out there. Uh, yes, badge yes. of honor, scars. I like it. So, yeah. Scar, you. Uh, what's your hospital name? Hospital name Mark Rubenstein. So, um, I have a doctor of physical therapy, but I don't, you know, whatever. That's just is what it is. Um, and yeah, so pretty much born and bred in New Jersey most of my life, with the exception of school, grad school in Philadelphia. So, Jim, that's where you currently post in the New Jersey area. Yeah, yeah, we uh, our region is uh, F3 Princeton, and um, you know we're up here in the Northeast, so we're pretty close to to Philly, Lehigh Valley, Long Island, um, some of these newer AOs that are that are opening up. So um, yeah, it's an exciting time to be in this this region. It seems I think we're we're headed for I think a fair amount of uh, growth and expansion over the com coming years. So it's a great great group up here and. Uh, just like everywhere else we have across the country. So that's awesome. And how did you learn about F3 in that region? Well, I, um, 
so I was at a point in my life where I was thinking to myself, you know what? I need to start a men's group. Just, and it didn't really have any like structure. I was like, there's a need for that. And I started thinking about how I would do that. And right about that time, almost, almost right around, like, like literally maybe within a week, somebody invited me at a, a networking event, a chamber of commerce event, um, um, Four Seasons is his name. So he invited me and said, hey, I, I got this group. You know, we get together exercise and we do all these other things. And I was like, huh, this sounds interesting. Thinking to myself, huh, this is like, maybe this is what I'm looking for. And um, just showed up. And I literally, once I learned about, you know, all the all the tenants, all the, you know, the, 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 uh, the five uh, core principles, everything kind of what I was, what I was looking for and what I believed in was right here. And I was like, wow, this is like, you know, real lucky that I found this, um, this group. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's become a huge part of my life. So I'm, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm here talking to you. So. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, you mentioned being a doctor of physical therapy and, you know, on the podcast, we have a variety of health experts. We talk about health stories and transformation. And I I really kind of wanted to bring you on the show today to talk into physical therapy, some of the expertise that you bring to the table. Uh, We, of course, have guys of of all age and size and athletic abilities across, across the gloom and across the country and the world. And we all bring our unique uh, limitations, our, our own injuries, if you will. So I'm really excited about today and our opportunity to dive into some of the things that you really kind of see in your practice, things that you help, uh, you know, obviously the public with, but what we can share with the PACs is, is obviously what we're, we're looking to do today. So physical therapy, what you know, from a background standpoint, what got sure. you interested in that? And, and walk us through a little bit about your training. Yeah. So, um, so it started actually in high school, actually, it started way before high school. Um, I would say, you know, my love for helping people kind of evolved from seeing my parents and how they cared for my grandmother. So my grandmother had Parkinson's disease growing up. She lived with us. And my dad, you know, I always say he's got a, he's got a spot in heaven pretty quickly because the moment they got married, like the next day, grandma moved in and um, he was all about it. He was supportive. And, um, and you know, I just was very used to dealing with someone who had a disability at a young age. I mean, I was helping her get out of bed. I was helping her exercise. We'd walk around the block. And, and really, you know, in front of my eyes, I saw someone who didn't let the disability define who she was. She literally was resilience personified. She just kept on getting up. I mean, literally, she would fall a lot. That's what, you know, unfortunately, Parkinson's disease, one of the issues is balance and falls. So she would fall. She'd be walking around the block. She'd fall. And either we'd be with her and help her get up. Or if she was walking alone, we'd get a call from a neighbor saying, hey, you know what? Grandma fell. Come come pick her up. So that experience definitely got my sister and I both into healthcare, no doubt. Just seeing how my parents cared for her, seeing her ability to navigate this disability and just rise up above it. Those were, that was kind of the the ground. And then in high school, we had an ability to kind of volunteer in the community. And my, my, um, my counselor at the time just said, Mark, listen, you're, you know, you like working with people, you're good with people. 
I want you to just try out physical therapy, like try it out. I didn't, at that point, I didn't really know what it was. Um, and I just uh, had to like one day a week, I was in a sports medicine clinic. And I saw all, again, like you said in F3, all ages, all ability levels, even though it was sports med, it was really everything generic. And I was like, this, this is for me. Like right away, I knew this was where I was headed. So those were the two probably major things that got me into PT. I mean, I told you I had the scoliosis procedure, just going through that and bouncing back from a surgery was another thing that probably just said, you know what, you know, I could probably, I learned a lot from this that probably helped people. So, you know, that, that started my journey in, in, in PT and then um, went to undergraduate knowing that's where I wanted to head, but just seeing, you know what, I could go right into PT or I could just kind of go for like a physiology background, a exercise and sports background. So that's kind of what I did at Rutgers, knowing that I'd still probably go down the route of PT. And then studied in, um, in Philly and started practicing in New Jersey afterwards. So that's kind of been, those were the fact, major factors in me, you know, just wanting to help people, wanting to be in a field that was really hands-on like you are, you know, I'm sure with what you do. Um, and it just, you know, I've been fortunate to be in a career for, geez, I've been practicing for you know, like over 21 years. So that, you know, just see people, you know, just improve and get better and, and go through tough times every day. So like going to work for me is, is just, I mean, it's work, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's fun. It's rewarding. It's, you know, it's, it's positive. It, it just, you know, it, it's just been a, it's been just a, a journey and um, I'm blessed to really be in this position. Yeah. That's a, that's a great background story and, and just kind of see your grandmother and watch your father help her out. And then obviously going through your own rehab with the scoliosis surgery. That's a, that's a great precursor to, to exactly what you do. And I completely understand and, and see why you have the passion to do it. You mentioned undergrad, um, obviously went there and then there's a, doctorals a program how does pt school kind of work in relationship to undergrad yeah so um P just like a lot of these education programs they've evolved over the years so when i went to pt school like i knew that i would finish my four-year undergraduate bachelor of science and then apply for really at the time there wasn't doctoral programs they were master's level programs so i mean these programs are clinical doctorates so PsyD, pharmd they're similar, similar degrees. But what's, what happened was, so I got my master's at University of the Sciences, but maybe five years after the doctoral degree came in. So then it was like, okay, you're missing like four classes. So I was able to do those. And I did that at Temple when I was in Philly. And that kind of got me up to speed where, you know, the new graduates out of undergraduate were applying and starting in these doctoral programs. But when I went, there were master's level programs. So it's clinical doctorate, not, not a, not a research-based PhD, but, but a, a DPT program. And um, that's what pretty much that's the entry level degree today. That's where we're at. So when it comes to physical therapy, I think everyone's probably familiar with physical therapy. I've heard of physical therapy. Can you kind of just define a little bit more specifically, what are, you know, what, what, what are the exact things physical therapists are, are, are mainly sure. doing on in a clinical setting? Yeah. 
Well, I think that's just like we talk about how the education has evolved. I think that's also evolved. So, you know, when I went to school, you know, a lot of it was based on, you know, you know, that um, similar to, to what you do, like physical therapists are, are movement experts. That's kind of where, where our focus is. And, um, you know, the musculoskeletal system is kind of where we get our basis. You know, we obviously learn about the neurological system, cardio, cardiovascular system, but more, you know, we dive into that, that musculoskeletal, you know, system and, and learn that to the best of our ability. And um, basically, and looking for, you know, when people have pain, uh, they have functional limitations, um, they can't do the activities they like to do, what, you know, what exactly are those, like we call them impairments, but what are those issues that are limiting them from, from kind of doing the things, the functional activities, the sports, the daily activities that they love to do. So that's kind of like, you know, in a sense, I think we're like investigators, you know, we're trying to figure out what are the roots of their problem. And then, you know, when I started out in practice, you know, it was basically like, look for all these like biomechanical imbalances, look at um, how they're moving, the quality of their movement um, to see, you know, you know, again, what, why are they showing up? Is it, um, is it a postural issue? Is it a weakness issue? It is a flexibility issue. Is it just a pure like endurance issue where they just can't maintain a certain um, posture or uh, activity for a long time? So we're trying to figure out a lot of these um, underlying root causes. And that's, uh, that's what's fun about it. It's not straightforward in saying, hey, okay, you know, yes, you have a shoulder problem. It's, it's always caused by this. There's, there's a lot of thing, inputs. And that's kind of where I've evolved and gotten a little more holistic as, as I've aged particularly more probably in the last five to seven years of just really looking at everything, like all the issues. And that's really why we're, I think why we're here today to look at, you know, how to, you know, pain is something, you know, all the packs deal with, you know, we all deal with, it's part of life. You know, we've made it a real negative connotation in our society, I think. And I'd like to get your feedback on that too. Um, but I feel like pain is part of life. And, um, but I think there's a lot of things we can do, you know, whether it's PT or any other any other intervention that can help people stay away from pain or at least mitigate it, you know, when it starts. And that's kind of been my kind of entry into into this more of a wellness approach is, is um, just prevention of pain. That was the start of it. So um, I don't want to talk and I want to get your feedback so we can have a conversation. But uh, tell me what you think about that and. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'm happy to expand more on, on what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I appreciate you kind of giving us a little background there and, and some of the things that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And you mentioned pain. Of course, a lot of people associate uh, physical therapy with rehab after post-surgery or some kind of fall or, or kind of learning their, uh, their functions again, if you will. And certainly chiropractic care. Uh, a lot of times people come to us for pain management type of scenarios, right? Back pain, neck pain, headaches, musculoskeletal scenarios. And I think you and I were having a conversation and, and, and you alluded to it already is that, you know, as much as we can certainly help individuals in a painful scenario and situation, what we really like to do and, and our passion is, is more kind of geared around overall wellness. How do we help individuals maintain a lifestyle and, and, and quality of life outside of just pain management. And it sounds like that's the approach that you're taking. And to your point, 
is some of the things that we want to talk about today. Because when someone kind of gets that surgery and somebody gets to that point where they're crawling into your clinic or my office looking for um, a strategy to get out of pain, you know, that that's one scenario, but more importantly, if there's some things that we can do to help people prior to getting to that point, if their daily activities, lifestyle uh, implementations that they can make, um, that's really our passion. And, it, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, getting out into the public and speaking and, and, and different groups. So why don't you walk us through what you have found over the years to be, um, I think you mentioned something called the elements of health kind of what your approach is when it comes to overall wellness. And, mm -hmm. and maybe we can kind of go down that path and talk about the different elements that you found to be helpful and how do we help PACs implement them in their lives? Awesome. Yeah, no, I uh, um, love that. Um, totally agree. And it's cool to, to be on, you know, that we're on the same page, you know, we're different areas, different professions, but we have a similar passion. So that's really cool that we, you know, we get to have this conversation. One thing I'll say that may be controversial, and I wonder if you agree with me on this, is like, you know, I feel like for all the good that we've done, you know, in the medical system, I feel like uh, at this stage of my life and my career, my goal is, is, is to keep people out of the medical system, because for all the good we've done, there has been, unfortunately, a lot of harm that comes with, you know, um, maybe let's talk about surgeries that weren't needed, um, people that just you know, they go into the medical system and they never leave the medical system. Um, we call it over-medicalization. I think about opioids. So there's so many things that I feel like um, that we haven't done a good job with. We lead the world in like number of diabetics. We lead the world in obesity. We lead the world in all sorts of things that, that are, um, we don't, we don't lead the world in longevity. I'll tell you that. So you know, for all the, you know, the money that, that our country has and, and um, all the access to, for some people to certain treatments, I feel like, you know, what we haven't done well is what we're talking about today is, is prevention and, and um, really getting to the root of the problem and mitigating issues right away instead of like people going in this, this circle. So, so I'm sorry, I, I just deviated a little bit about that, but that's kind of, you know, I think, no, I really think it's, well, yeah, I yeah. think it speaks to your, your heart and kind of the perspective that you have and which is similar to mine. Cause I agree yeah. with you. I think we have a, a really good system in place for what we call acute care, yeah. you know, medical emergencies were, were far, you know, greater than many, many countries when it comes to that medical trauma and yeah. emergencies, what we fail to do a good job with. And, and you kind of mentioned that is that wellness care and prevention, our systems just not designed to do that really well. Um, yeah. We are about medication. We are about surgeries. We are about acute care. And when someone's really looking for that lifestyle change, modification and education, our system's not really good at that because yeah. it demands high volume. It demands profit. It demands all these other things that unfortunately go into the, the, the you know, the, the paradigm. Yes. And it, and it kind of takes away that ability to sit down with the patient, teach them, show them, guide them. Um, the reimbursement's just not there for that. And, no. and, and we've nope. seen that, uh, unfortunately. So 
to your point, I totally agree with you. I think we're on the same page there and why it's important when we have the opportunity to teach and show patients uh, why it really makes the biggest difference in people's lives. So walk us down some of these elements that, uh, that you, that you find is really helpful. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about like prevention, I think this, this is, this might be helpful to frame it. Like it's just, you talk about like primary prevention and that's what really like really how we can make a huge impact is just getting to healthy people when they're healthy, not when they have the problem. Right. So that's traditionally like you and I work in this, you know, secondary prevention, which is when someone has a problem or even tertiary when they have chronic issues. So really, really want to get up there and start, with this primary prevention, a lot of it is, is education. I think that's probably number one, but when we talk about these elements or I feel like the roots of most health issues in our country, whether it's pain or chronic disease, you have to start with movement. And that's obviously what we, one of the elements that we practice in F3, um, because what I've seen and you've seen is that it's a window into future health. Movement is a window into future health. People that don't move, they are going to show up in our office. They're going to say, you know what? You know, I have an, at least I see a lot of IT professionals that come in. They're like, you know, I'm working, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. And then guess what? I have to get on a call at night and I'm dealing with people in, you know, whether it may be other countries. So they're working the night shift too. You know, they might not be commuting anymore because of COVID, but they're, they are working nonstop. They're not, their body's just not getting that dose of, movement that it needs to to thrive and um that's the biggest thing i've seen in my practice those who move regularly you know of course there's going to be injuries and i see a fair amount of you know acute injuries like you said whether it's acl tears knee replacements um just back pain neck pain shoulder pain whatever it may be those things happen but uh, i think generally if we're moving regularly we we obviously the 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 data shows that um, we're healthier, like, uh, and it's a dose response. So I think this is an interesting point that I like to make is that if you, um, if you just let, you know, we know guidelines for movement are around 150 minutes a, a week of intensity minutes. That's, that's what the um, Heart Association recommends. But if you get below that, what they've shown in, in, in huge studies is that you live longer. Even if you do some of it, even a little bit, you're going to get a 20% reduction in, in your in mortality, which is great. But if you meet those guidelines or you exceed them, you're closing, you can go up to 40%. You can live that much longer. So the, the bottom line is just get started. And I think, you know, people have this thing, well, I'm too old. I've never exercised. I mean, we've seen this in F3 throughout the nation. We have guys in their 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't know, you know what the the oldest member in F3 is, but, you know, it's just, it goes to show you that you're never too old to start. So um, we can always build strength. We can always build mobility. And, um, you know, it's just, just like we dose medicine in healthcare, we need to dose exercise. So that's really, again, I'd like to get your feedback. Um, That's, that's, you know, I'm not going to say that's the most important. It's not, but it's just when we talk about, health. I mean, that's just people just, they go to exercise first. So, you know, yeah, it doesn't I, mean it's most important. I'll tell you which one I, I think is most important when we get to it, but this is the one that, you know, I like to usually start with. So, 
Yeah, no, I, you bring up a good point. Um, majority of our society is very sedentary. Um, a, a lot of our careers require very little motion and movement. Uh, it requires more screen time, sitting, sedentary. And, and even in the last 18 months, we've seen people have lost commutes. They've lost walking in buildings, uh, lunches, the, all those type of things that even although was still very small from a movement standpoint, have been eliminated even further uh, in, in today's kind of work environment, if you will. So movement, I 100% agree. I think, you know, getting the blood flow, getting those joints moving uh, is a fantastic thing to do on a healthy basis. What uh, from an exercise, so somebody's pretty sedentary, if somebody is wanting to start out with motion and movement, um, what are some of the tips and, and, and kind of strategies that you help them implement initially to kind of get off the couch and start moving around? Yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, I, you know, just like you, you know, I have the opportunity to see a lot of people during the week and um, have these conversations about health and wellness. And, you know, you're right. Number one is just start moving. Like, and it doesn't mean you're going to start with like high intensity interval training. It means you're just going to, you know, you're going to start with, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of, of uh, whether it's a stationary bike in your house or getting outside and taking a walk. Like that is probably, you know, depending on obviously what the injury or why they're seeing me, but even if they're seeing me for their shoulder, I'm still telling them, you got to get out and walk like that. you got to move like, you know, especially these sedentary workers we talk about, like I'm telling them you, it's not about, you know, posture is important. Don't get me wrong, but it, I don't believe it's about posture that really leads to pain. I feel like it's more about lack of movement and that we all have different postures. You know, if, uh, we all have, you know, we, there's no two postures that are the same, but really where we see people in pain is when they're just not moving. They're in that static and they're just staying at that, their desk all day. And listen, these jobs for a lot of people can be very engrossing. You know, they could be you know, your mind has to be in it hundred percent and they don't even think, Oh my God, I've been sitting here for three hours. Like my body has not moved. So absolutely. Like, um, that, that's the biggest thing is you got to get up every half hour to an hour. I don't care if you do 10 squats. I don't care if you walk your stairs. I don't care if you, you bend forward and backwards, do a stretch, but just do something like, Get that blood flow going. Don't step, you know, don't sit in that position because when you get up, if you're in pain already, you're going to have pain. You're going to, that pain is going to persist. Your body just needs movement. It needs blood flow, all the stuff you were saying. So, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I loved what you said and you alluded to posture. I think a lot of times there's a lot of uh, money and strategies put around ergonomics and ergonomic workstations and standing desk or sitting desk. And I get these questions all the time and I'm sure you yeah. do too, as far as, okay, what should I be doing or how should my desk be set up or posture be set up? And certainly there's some, there's some tips and tricks and things that somebody could be doing to kind of enhance their posture. But to your point, no two postures are exactly the same. And there's really no such thing as a perfect posture for everybody. I mean, every, in other words, there's not one size fits all. Everybody's going to be unique in their own biomechanics. But what we can agree on across the board for every single person is that it doesn't really matter how you're sitting as much as not sitting all day long 
and getting up and moving around. And I love the idea of every 30 minutes or 45 minutes. I often tell patients, you know, set a little timer on their phone or whatever it is. Every 45 minutes, it beeps and allows them to stand up and stretch and walk around and, and move around and get that blood flowing. And it makes a world of difference at the end of an eight hour day or nine hour day or 10 hour day or however long that is, if they're chronically standing up throughout that day, they're going to feel a whole lot different than they are than six hours into it, realizing they haven't moved and try to stand up and bend and twist the, that lactic acid and all that, you know, tight tightness in those muscles make a big, big difference. So I love this strategy of motion and motion to your point doesn't have to be these intense workouts. And I think sometimes people get intimidated by getting moving because they think, oh, I have to go join the gym or I have to go post in the gloom six days a week. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying, listen, just implement a walk around your block once a day, walk the dog, walk up and down your stairs. It doesn't have to be a lot, but a little bit adds up and consistency, as you know, is really the key to, to overall health. So I love, I, I love that we're on the same page there. So outside of movement, what's another element that uh, you found is really foundational for wellness? Yeah. Um, so definitely we, we have to go into, you know, again, we're starting with the two most common ones. So we'll go into fuel next. And uh, we're talking about food and nutrition and how they're, they can be, you know, fundamental tools in the treatment of pain and inflammation. You know, so we know that, you know, pain and inflammation are related, right? And we know that, that, um, that food and inflammation are related as well. So therefore you can make the connection, you know, you know, between food and pain, you know, what type of foods we're putting into our body. So, you know, I never used to, again, when I was a PT and I was focused on, you know, the biomechanics and beginning of my practice and that wasn't anything I really I mean, of course, you know, we know it's good to eat healthy, but it was never something I really delved into, you know, with my clients. But, you know, as I've gotten into this prevention and wellness and learn more, the research has actually come out to really back that up. So an example I like to give is uh, we talk about um, hip osteoarthritis. And what they've shown is there's a relationship between fiber, how much fiber you eat and symptoms of hip arthritis. So I was like, I was stunned when I, I read that. Wow, like the amount of fiber you eat, if you eat more fiber, you're going to have less hip arthritis pain. Now that, you know, that's real interesting because we also know fiber and inflammation are, are related. So we want to reduce, reduce inflammation, we eat more fiber. So another example would be um, when blood sugar is uncontrolled, that is, that is related to not, you know, not immediately uh, causative, but related to back pain when you have uncontrolled blood sugar. So, so again, knowing that these things are shown in the, in, in research, I, I, I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. Don't get, and I don't, you know, if somebody has a diagnosis, like I'm referring them to a nutritionist, but I'm at least having the, this talk about, you know, tell me about your diet. Tell me about types of foods you're eating. How many fruits and vegetables are you, are you having per day? Because we know greater than five is a, is a, is is a key factor. So, um, so just letting people know that, Hey, when they come into my office, I want to help you as much as I can. So if I'm trying to help you with pain, you know, I'm going to talk to you about some of these things you might not traditionally hear about in another PT's office. 
or a chiropractor or another chiropractor's office, you know, but, but in here, we're going to give you as much as we can, you know, um, within our scope, absolutely, you know, to, to help you battle these issues. And, um, so I'm just a big believer in, you know, we have to eat, you know, less sugar, less processed foods, you know, and more plant-based, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, we, we can get into all sorts of diets, but I, that's not really what I talk about. I'm just like more of this, more of the good stuff, less of the bad stuff. Like, let's just try to get you into eating a little healthier. And I think that's going to, that's going to help you in, in a lot of different, you know, whether it's pain or chronic disease or, you know, just health. Yeah. I, I love that you bring that up with your clients because, you know, a lot of times people isolate aspects of health, right? And, yeah. and they look at, well, I got this muscle skeletal problem, or I have the shoulder injury or hip injury, and they're looking for rehabilitation around the muscle, or they're looking for ice or heat or something like that. And, and what you're alluding to is, yes, that's a component of health. But if you're ignoring uh, this systemic uh, inflammation, which is what kind of what we're talking about inter internally, that's completely um, related to the fuel that you're choosing to put in your system, then your recovery time is going to suffer, or it's not going to improve the way you want it to. And I've mentioned previous podcasts about, yes, that's kind of what I have to do with my patients as well. As someone comes in with acute back pain, we can talk about ice and we can talk about posture and we can certainly do musculoskeletal, um, uh, strategies to improve that. But if they're ignoring the inflammation in their system based on their dietary choices, they're not going to recover as quickly as they need to. And, and, and I love that you bring that up with your clients because ultimately you're, you're not only serving them immediately, but in the long term, there's a lot of benefit uh, down the road because yeah. inflammation leads to all types of diseases and, and, and all that. And I, I love that you use the term fuel because um, that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, our bodies are designed to work on certain nutrients and vitamins and minerals and, and certain things. And when we don't give our bodies those things, or we put it other things into it, it's going to rot out and, and not work really well. And, and um, you know, when people approach food as fuel, that does put a little different perspective because a lot of times people think, well, food is food. I'm just going to eat what I like and taste good. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But that, if that's how you always dictate how you eat, you probably are going to fall into trouble because you're going to choose foods that aren't really designed for your health and, versus picking and choosing those foods that are designed for health and, and vegetables and fruits and some of these anti-inflammatory foods um, certainly are, are the way to go, in my opinion, as well. So yeah. I love that you do that and that mindset around fuel. So if somebody, um, you know, injured their ankle, shoulder, whatever, yeah. what, um, in addition to kind of some of that ice or musculoskeletal uh, you know, uh, approach that they need to make. Are there certain specific dietary things that you tell people to a stay away from or yeah. improve on or increase anything specific like that? Yeah, I try to, you know, like I said, I try to keep it, um, keep it simple. And, 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 you know, when we're trying to change behavior, you know, if you do too much, I think that's where people get overwhelmed and then they wind up 
just just kind of you know not not even not not going down that path so give them something they could be successful on and um you know like i said just counting numbers of fruits and vegetables for the day is something easy you know um that i start with i another another potential you know first step would be hey let's just reduce you know sugar in your drinks like drink more water let's track the water you're drinking and um so you know those are a couple of couple of options um definitely you know if if, if we know you know my belief is plant-based you know is definitely you know based on research and you know definitely something people should explore in, and, and maybe that doesn't mean being a vegetarian but that means eating more plant-based foods like start with one meal have a plant-based meal during the day you know so just little things that can drive people to um drive people to better health you know obviously sweets is something we all struggle with um which i gave up for the for the month for november i gave up i'm trying to grow you know a little mustache here um, on top of that, I added in a little extra challenge of staying away from desserts. And, um, it's amazing. Once you get past like a certain number of days, like it is physiologically easier to stay away. And I think I've reached that point, not that I'm never going to have sweets again, but like, I mean, first of all, it's no, it's not no sugar. It's just, you know, candy, cookies, you know, ice cream, cake, all the stuff we know is tastes good, but not good for us. But, um, yeah, so I think, you know, you have to be real and there's times to celebrate and do that. But obviously if you're doing that all the time, you're not feeding your body the fuel that it needs to, to stay out of pain, you know, um, because I do think over the long term, this is when, you know, somebody comes in to see me with like a frozen shoulder, which is idiopathic. They don't know why people get frozen, you know, stiff, painful shoulders. But I, I believe there's some sort of inflammatory process in the body and that, you know, people are like, well, why? I didn't, I didn't do anything. Like what happened? And I'm trying to say, well, I don't really know, but this could be a potential cause, you know, is this an inflammation in the body? And, and um, again, if they have a, if they're diabetic, I'm going to say, you know what? I think you really should meet with a registered dietitian. Like, but if they don't have that clinical diagnosis, I feel like it's okay for me to kind of just give them some tips and tricks to say, let's just explore, let's experiment and let's just start to make small changes so you can be healthier, you know? And, um, I think that helps, you know, totally agree. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I find that when I recommend similar, reduce the sugar, drink more water, uh, be a little more conscious about the foods that you're putting in your system, uh, individuals seem to recover a little bit quicker and they get rid of some of that pain and discomfort faster. And so Pax, if, if you're currently struggling with, you know, a chronic pain or inflammatory issue that's going on in the system, and you're wondering why this thing's persisting, uh, evaluate the diet, uh, just make sure that it's clean as possible. It may mean, uh, sacrificing those sweets for a week or two, just to kind of allow that inflammation to come down and see if that doesn't help, uh, as part of your strategy of, of getting healthy. So we talked about movement. We talked yeah. about fuel, uh, what other element that you found is pretty foundational? Yeah. Um, so this is just, we call it recover, recovery. You've mentioned it a number of times already. And really when we, when we talk about recovery, there's a lot of factors that, that lead into that. But when I spend my time and have these discussions, it's a lot about how they're sleeping. That's the primary recovery strategy. And um, I feel like, you know, there's so many people that struggle with sleep 
it's a, uh, you know, just like it's another pretty much an epidemic in our, in our country is that people are not getting enough sleep. They're working late into the night, getting up early. And we're wondering, you know, why are they having chronic health issues? Why are they in chronic pain? You know, potential cause is that lack of quantity and quality sleep. And, um, you know, it kind of has become like a machismo thing in our society. Like, hey, you know, I can work on three hours sleep and I'm good. But let me tell you, from all that I've read, and I have a really good resource I'm going to direct your readers to, called Why We Sleep. Um, it's a great book. Um, forgetting the author right now. Um, but great book, and it has a ton of research. And if you need a little nudge to sleep better, you read that, and you're like, yeah. Um you know, it's related to everything. It's related to cognitive function, performance. It's related to uh, overall health, um, mood, depression, um, everything. Uh, it is it is the primary driver. Our body. You know, we think of sleep as a kind of a, a inactive period, but it really is the period where um, where we're it's doing our body's doing so much work to recover from whether it's again you know uh, we did a we did a huge amount of exercise our body is rebuilding during that night you know we're sick and we're we're recovering from an illness that's the time when our body is is recharging you know so just asking people about their sleep do they feel well rested when they get up you know how many hours of sleep do they get a night um, those are really good questions to to see and if they're having a problem I think that's when you got to dive, you know, you got to dive deeper and say, well, why, you know, tell me a little bit about what does your day look like? What does your night look like? You know, um, are you on your phone and computer late into the night? Therefore your melatonin, you know, is not, you're, you're, you're not getting that um, melatonin production because we know that light inhibits that. So, um, you know, we need to, you know, kind of, you know, one of the things that F3 forces us to do is to kind of create that really good, you know, schedule of sleep because it's tough to get up in the gloom. I don't know about you guys. If I don't get my, uh, you know, seven, seven hours of sleep, it's tough to get up in the gloom, you know, um, and consistently get up. So I, I do think, you know, um, it helps us to, uh, you know, develop good habits. Um, so, you know, I just can't tell you how much, you know, I've seen, you know, people that come in in chronic pain, many times they're not sleeping well. And we're like, well, is it because they're in pain that they're not sleeping? Or is it because they're not sleeping that they have pain? And research has shown both, but really a lot that if you're not sleeping, that is a big driver for chronic pain. So again, these things are all connected. And that's what I, that's what I like to, to have these conversations. But, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you think um, yeah, no, I, I, t I totally agree with you um, with everything that you said. I've mentioned multiple times previously the importance of sleep and recovery and how that helps with healing and inflammation and just overall health. I've talked about the lack of sleep and how that really derives disease processes and even inability to lose weight. Uh, research is pretty clear about, you know, six hours or more is kind of the minimum. Yes. And to, to your point, unfortunately, men specifically, but I mean, women fall in the same trap. 
we think that we can burn the candle at both ends, or we don't really need to sleep, or I'm fine without it. And yes, um, possibly during a short amount of time, you can get away with it. But ultimately, it's not the strategy you want for long term uh, benefit. And, 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 and certainly the, the sleep strategy is one of those things I preach to clients. And I think it's foundational when it comes to achieving health. Um, the, the author that you're referring to is Matthew Walker. Yes. Um, yeah. so Pax, if you want to check out that book, uh, that's a, that's a great, there's read. multiple podcasts. You can find them on podcasts too. He's sure. Great. Yeah. And, great. and, and, and street, uh, sleep tips and tricks and, and so forth are, are all things that we can kind of look into when it comes to like temperature of the bedroom and blackout and, and to, to your point, the time to fall asleep and the time to wake up, the circadian rhythm, melatonin production. There are all these factors around sleep that unfortunately we've destroyed based on our lifestyles. And when we identify what those things are and make those small tweaks, those of you that maybe are struggling with sleep can find some really benefits with it and, and, and improve it. So, so we mo movement, fuel, recovery, or slash yeah. sleep. Uh, what's another element? And this is one that I think the packs will all identify with. Um, and it's, it, we call it the element of endure. So how do we overcome challenges of all different kinds? You know, trauma, tragedy, personal crises, life problems, and bounce back stronger, wiser, you know, more powerful. Like that, that is something I don't think we explicitly say, you know, that F3 but I'm telling you that this is what F3 built. You know, we, we you know, it, I had the opportunity to go through um, the, um, at the 10 year, the, um, the end at Ruck. And I've always wanted to do a marathon. Always wanted to do one. Um, had various injuries that limited me. The hip was, a, you know, while my knee, I've done a half. And then, um, you know, so I, I saw the opportunity to do this and, Again, it's it's pushing yourself. Granted, you know, again, it's uh, you're you're wearing a pack. You're uh, it's at night. There's a lot of challenges, but when you go through something like that, you do realize how it causes growth. And I think, you know, that's what we're all about: is how do we build our resilience? And I, I think, how do we how do we endure difficult situations? And you know, you see the guys out in California just go through the um, the grow ruck, um, seeing what they did. Um, pushing ourselves to, you know, to our physical, our, our um, you know, emotional limits and seeing, you know, seeing how you respond. And, um, and I do think, you know, the social aspect of F3, you know, is something that allows us to build resilience, you know, through being with other people. Um, I, I, I talk to people about, you know, stress management. Listen, stress is a part of life. We have to accept that, but it doesn't mean that, um, it needs to, uh, and especially we know there's good stress and bad stress, but um, the question is how do we, how do we manage stress? How do we um, not let it overtake us and, and lead to a lot of these chronic health issues? Um, I think um, we talk about how sleep is a way, when we sleep well, that reduces our stress, reduces our cortisol levels. That's, that's something I talk to people about. Um, just trying to calm down that nervous system. You know, in this society, we're driven by our sympathetic nervous system. We're always going, we're always moving. We're trying to do 10 things at once. You know, um, there's a lot of 
you know, um, stuff going on, you know, between, you know, you know, whether it's, I mean, we're not going to get into this, but, you know, just all the stress in society, of, you know, all the negative stuff that people are battling. Um, I think we realize a lot of people, you know, we talk about the mental health issues in, in, um, in men, and that's why we're here is to try to try to help that. Um, I think being with other men certainly does that. Um, but trying to, you know, how do you reduce that nervous system exercise? You know, this is interesting. I never knew this, but exercise is actually anti-inflammatory. Uh, with all the physiological mechanisms in our body, it actually reduces inflammation. So, you know, in a way exercise, and we know when we get that, that runner's high or we get a good workout in the gloom, you know, that is certainly a way, you know, to build, reduce stress and build our resilience. So um, I think taking time to just slow down and, and breathe and, uh, you know, be mindful of what we're doing is certainly important when we have pain or chronic health issues. Um, so I, I advise that as, you know, when people are just, I can tell that they're just going through a lot in life. You know, I don't tell them how to do it, but I'd say, listen, there's a variety of strategies you can do to reduce stress. I think this would be great adjunct to your exercise program. Like they think I'm the exercise, you know, expert. So I'm going to help them with that. But I'm also going to say here, here's some breathing exercises you could do. You can listen to this before you go to bed. You know, it's a little um, exercise of uh, mindfulness. You know, this is going to be something that's going to turn down that dial. Uh, it's going to help um, kind of turn down that nervous system. And I think, you know, I do think that there's different types of resilience. When we talk about there's social resilience, there's emotional resilience, there's physical resilience and mental resilience. These are all things that we can build, I think, through, uh, through life, through F3. Um, it's just, uh, it's one of those things. Everybody has this capacity, but sometimes you don't know how to kind of go. How do we, you know, you see people like, wow, they went through all that. Like, I don't think I could ever do that but we all have it within us. And that's kind of the hope that I try to deal to people. And it's like, Hey, like, I'm not going to, I don't have the answers for you. I'm, you know, I don't have all the answers, but we're going to talk about different ways that you can build this in your life. And quite honestly, like hey, working hard, <laughs> working physically hard with other men is a great way to do that. So, so um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Uh, we can't control everything that comes at us in life. Uh, certainly, there's going to be things that are going to challenge us and become obstacles to our ourselves. And and to your point, the more resilience that we have built up, or another word is grit, that we have uh, you know built in in ourselves, the better we're going to handle those things because you know we're we're never going to be prepared for everything. But by preparing on a consistent basis, we are going to be able to handle those things as they get thrown to us. And certainly waking up early in the gloom, especially as the temperatures start to drop in areas of the country, uh, it's more so than others. That becomes even more uh, tough on, on a daily basis. But just that consistency of getting up and posting. I've mentioned, you know, I take daily cold showers, not because I enjoy cold showers, but it's another grit building perspective. It's something that I do that I put my body through on a daily basis because I know I'm going to have scenarios that I don't control that are going to put my body through hardship that the more I've built up this grit or resilience, 
the stronger I'm going to be when I approach these other things. So I think it's a great strategy that sometimes is overlooked when people are thinking about health and overall wellness. So I love that you brought it up and I love that you brought, um, you know, factor that in as part of that, uh, st overall strategy. Yep. Um, you know, we, we mentioned a handful of things. We mentioned movement, recovery, resilience. Is there any other elements that you find are, are super important, uh, when it comes to getting healthy? Yeah. Um, and one other thing I'll add to the, the resilience, I, I do think there's, um, um, I would say faith is another way to build resilience. And I think, you know, we don't, you know, preach one particular faith, but I think we have to realize spiritual resilience is definitely something that it helps build resilience, I, I believe. So um, definitely something we could spend a lot of time on, but uh, just didn't want to leave that out because I feel like that fits under that element. And, and uh, it does help us through a lot of difficult times in our life. We all know that. Um, but the last element that really I think is foundational. Um, and a lot of times, you know, if I do, I start with this one because if you don't have this, it's really hard to do a lot of these other things. And that's social connection. It is to me probably the most important element even though they're all important in their own way, I think we've learned how much social connection is important through the pandemic, but the research really backs this up. So um, there's a researcher, her name's Julian Holt-Lundstadt. She's from BYU and she's looked at everything, every aspect of lifestyle, diet, exercise, marital status, whether they went to the doctor, whether they smoke or drank. And they, she did longevity studies with, the, with these people. And she found the people that were left standing that lived the longest, what reduced their chances of dying the most? High social support and social integration. More important than any of those other things that I previously mentioned, smoking, alcohol consumption, physical activity, BMI. We all think traditionally those are the most important elements of health or, or you know, things we have to worry about. But these things you know, are definitely um, loneliness and isolation are epidemics in our country. You know, in men, women, children, I think it's, it's, it's just a huge problem. It was a problem before COVID and now it's even more of a problem. So I feel like, you know, we need to find ways to connect to other people. And, and um, because, you know, we're stronger together. We always say that. I can't tell you, like, the amount of times that I've posted in the last two and a half years, I would never have done that alone. There is no way. You know, I, I feel like I'm motivated. There's no way I post that many times in two and a half years. The social support that I receive from my group and my packs, anything time I'm going, I'm going through a difficult situation in life, or I don't show up for a couple of days, I'm getting that text. Um, that's, that keeps, you know, that, that is really what builds our organization. It builds men that just that connection that, that um, I just think it's vital. And it's something that, you know, we need to like in healthcare, we need to prioritize that. And we need to ask people, tell me about your connections to others. Tell me about the flow of your day. Tell me about these things because if I find out that they're like, you know, they live alone and they don't get out much, like that's part of something we have to talk about. 
you know, and, uh, I, you know, I just, I can't, I, I'm a social person and, and I, you know, I feel like that's always been part of my life. I love to be around people. Um, and even during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were struggling because they didn't have that, but posting in the gloom outside with the guys, you know, I had that throughout the pandemic, you know, and that helped me get through just like I'm sure many of us, like, um, uh, so I just think it's foundational. It's so important. And if, if we're not talking about this, we're missing the boat. Well, I totally agree with you. The connection piece is huge when it comes to just overall health and wellness. And it is one of those pieces that are often not talked about or certainly not considered a quote unquote health strategy in many circles, although we all see the, the importance of it. So I love the fact that you bring it up and that you make it a point to talk about, uh, you know, I think F3 serves a great purpose for that, uh, especially for men. Uh, we talk about the sad clown syndrome. We talk about men being lonely and that's exactly it. And um, F3 can serve that. And I know that I've done many, many things physically and, and mentally that I would not have accomplished on my own without the PACs and, and fellow F3 people. And I totally agree with you. And just, you know, in my own clinical experience, when I work with clients, you know, more specifically, when we're talking about really working with them on lifestyle change, whether it's diet and exercise and sleep and all these other parameters that they may have to make changes in in their life. One of the things that we typically do before we take on a client is we, to the best of our ability, we try to get that, um, especially if they have a spouse, that spousal buy-in to the process as well. Not that that spouse has to do all the changes, but we have found that that individual's ability to be successful is really dependent on the support system that they have at home and their mm -hmm. ability to kind of make some of these changes. So one of the things that we typically ask is, you know, even to the spouse is, you know, are, are you willing to be that supportive person? Because we know just like everybody else does, um, change is difficult and motivation as strong as it could be initially is not going to be enough to sustain somebody, especially, you know, 60 days, 90 days, 120, 80 days down the road. And that spousal support system is huge. So yeah. I think that's great that you brought it up. I think it's super important. Um, and, and real, you know, I, I think some great content, uh, that we were able to share with everybody today. And I, and I appreciate that. So got two just kind of follow-up questions to, to final finalize, uh, uh, our talk today. Uh, one is this, and you've mentioned a bunch of tips already, and, and some of them could, you know, be in this category, but what are three tips that you would give a sad clown or PAX member who is struggling with their hunt or, you know, their health and wanting to get started on their hunt for wellness? Three tips. Wow. That's, um, that's a really good question. Uh, I, you know, I think we've talked about a lot of, a lot of the stuff, um, you know, today, um, that, uh, that could serve as, as tips that, that, that can kind of motivate that, person to, to make some change. And I think we also have to be real that like, these are a lot of tips, a lot of categories we talked about. It's really hard to make change in all these categories. So I think, you know, like you're trying to have me do, I think it's really good for the packs to say, Hey, 
you know, I'm going to focus on this element or this root of health or, or this aspect because it's hard to do everything at once. So, you know, generally like, you know, create a movement habit. We talked about how important it is to health and longevity and chronic disease and pain. So just honestly, just set a goal for yourself of how many times you're going to post during the week. Like just, you know, our, one of our mottos at F3 Princeton, um, got to give a shout out to my guys is uh, keep showing up. Like literally that's what it's about. You show up, you will get the workout, you'll get the social connection, you'll get all those things that we talked about. You'll build that resilience. So I think just consistency showing up. Um, so create that goal, set a goal for yourself on how many times you're going to post during the week and know that life happens and there's going to be times where you can't maybe reach that goal. But if you don't set a goal, you know, what is it? So, so create that movement habit, create that goal. That's number one. Um, number two is eat more plants. So let's just go with, try to get above five fruits and vegetables. It's going to help give your body the fuel that it needs. The fiber, focus on fiber. So that's going to be a little mini part of that second goal of eat more plants. Fiber is great anti-inflammatory, helps with all these things. So just look at the fiber in the food you're eating. I think that's huge. So, so eat more plants, eat more fiber. Um, that's number two. And number three, prioritize recovery. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you can underdose exercise, but you also can overdose. So you got to listen to your body. If your body's telling you, hey, you know, you're starting to get sick, run down, pain even, that might be a good day to take a day off. And this is something probably like you don't hear enough of. We need to prioritize recovery because, you know, everybody's body is different. And, um, but I think sometimes we try to push through, we try to build resilience, which is great, but there is a time when it's okay to rest. There is a time when it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to get a little more sleep today. Um, that's going to allow us to have better, you know, you know, consistency down the road to post more, to get healthier. You know, we just keep running through our problems and not recognizing them. You know, I think that could be an issue. So yeah, so those, those are yeah. my three. Well, great tips. And, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people can take those to heart and implement them and, and really kind of move themselves towards that wellness perspective. So one last question for you, uh, Scar you, but before I get to that, I just want to take a few seconds here and acknowledge you and say, thank you for being part of this, the podcast and sharing your expertise and your passion, uh, for health and wellness. And I think the things that you brought to the table are something that's going to resonate with lots of people out there and really benefit them. So thanks again for your willingness to do that. Uh, if a PAX member or someone else wanted to kind of contact you, what would be a great way for them to follow up with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on both the Twitter and the Slack channels for F3. Um, so what's, what's uh, your handle? My handle is Mark Ruby DPT, M-A-R-C-R-U-B-Y DPT. And then I'm on ScarU on, on, on the, the nation Slack. Perfect. Um, and I'll give out my email and my cell too, but um, I'm easy to access. So just, just reach out. I'm always happy to help. And I, if I, I think, you know, we both share this, but you know, I love this organization. Like I'm not afraid to say it and I'm, I'm proud to say it. It's, it's, 
something I believe in, everything that I talked about today, almost everything is part of F3. And, you know, and, you know, I didn't have to come up with it. It was already there. I just have to be a part of it. And that's what I love. Like, even though I'm the healthcare guy, like I show up and I'm just a, a regular guy like everybody else. And I lead once in a while, but I love that it's community-based. I love that it's peer led. And, um, and I love that it, it really supports mental health, social connection, physical and mental resilience. I mean, all the things we spoke about, really. I mean, I think, you know, it's just, a, it's, I'm just thankful and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be a part. And um, I'm grateful you had me here to speak about this stuff because uh, it's important to me. And, and uh, I love what you're doing with this, you know, trying to make wellness a little more accessible for people. I feel like that is a huge, huge issue. And um, we're giving it away in F3, you know, we're giving it away. And that's just something that I just love so much that, that uh, anybody can show up, you know, any man it's free and, and just, just get all the benefits that, that both of us and countless other people have gotten through, you know, through the 10 years. So um, again, I'm grateful that you had me on. I love what you're doing and I'm here to support you and the PACs in any way I can. Well, I appreciate that. And hopefully PACs, you'll reach out to Scar you with any questions or uh, anything that you can kind of get feedback from, from him. So uh, it sounds like your heart's in the right place, brother. And uh, F3 uh, is a great organization. We're glad that you're part of it. So my last question for you is this, what is your definition of wellness? Excellent question. Again, uh, I love that it makes me think of my feet. I believe wellness is something that is hard to define and encompasses many areas, um, whether it's physical wellness, emotional wellness, spiritual wellness. Um, there's so many factors that go into our health. And, you know, I think we need to, to work on figuring out those root causes, you know, of the issues that we all tend to have. Um, but it's something that we can invest in. We can make investments into our health and wellness. You know, it's really to, to, to create positive change. Um, but it's something we all can achieve. That's, I'll, I'll say that. I and, love it. Yeah. And I agree with you. Yeah, I think wellness is something we all can strive for. And, and part of the purpose of the podcast is to help people achieve that. So. Yeah. Once again, brother, appreciate you. Thanks a lot. And, I appreciate uh, you. We'll catch you next time. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Hunt for Wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com on the nation Slack at Bones or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness. <laughs>